0: Lord, we pray this morning that we know may remember what it means again to follow you. May you use my words this morning, Lord, that people may see your glory. In your name we pray in these things. Amen. Please be seated. Singing that hymn, bring back some memories for some of you, right? Growing up, singing that. What a great, great hymn. This is a new series that I'm beginning called, uh, "Following Jesus." It's actually going to be pretty simple. And yet I pray that it's profound in the sense it brings us closer to Christ. This passage this morning comes from the ninth chapter of the book of Luke's written to us. Then Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? The word of the Lord. When you read through the first chapters of the book of Luke, particularly the first eight chapters, it's really all about who is Jesus Christ? Working through who he is. What does it mean that he has come? And yet when you get through the, to the ninth chapter of the book of Luke, when you deal with the first eight chapters, who he is, and if you start to believe who he is, then the next nine chapters, nine through 18, is all about what does it mean to follow after him, which is what this series is about. It's about what does it mean to, to follow him and not to, to look back. And you look at the surrounding passages of this, of this passage that I just read, Peter recognizes that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he understands who he is. And the whole point of this really is, when you begin to look deeply into it, is, is when we, be, we actually begin to understand who he is, we begin to understand who we are. And you're going to see this morning in this passage, these are the building blocks of what it means to be a disciple, be a follower of Jesus Christ. And there's just two just two points I have this morning, just two. The first one up here is about making Jesus Christ our, our greatest priority. When you look at the surrounding passages here in Luke 9, what you begin to see uh, is Jesus Christ meets all kind of people. All these people begin kind of begin to come into his life, begin to ask him questions. There is a a man, a father who comes to Jesus because he has a demon-possessed son. There is a man who wants to follow after Jesus Christ. He talks about that he must go bury his father first. There's all these Samaritans that come to Jesus. And yet he seems to warn all of them, if you follow after me, it's gonna be costly. It's gonna be costly. You will lose something. And he's constantly giving us illustrations, stories, parables, saying, I've not just come here to save you, but I've come here to lead you. I'm taking you somewhere, somewhere great, somewhere better, somewhere special. If you follow after me, you're gonna lose things and you're gonna leave things behind here. And he warns them basically, really nearly every person here, there's gonna be a constant battle in your life. And I might even dare say, this battle, you and, I, you and I in here, we will fight this until we are dead. And that is about constantly putting Christ and keeping Christ first. And he's reminding us, again, over and over again do not get distracted by the peripherals that are going all around us. And I didn't read it here, but I'll put it up here, just as part of the passage here. Near the very end, he says, he, said, he told him, a man who's asking about him, Anyone who puts the hand to the plow and then looks back, look at this, is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, does that hit you pretty strong? If it doesn't, you've missed the point, right? It's supposed to put us back on our feet here. And sometimes our experiences of following him, I don't know about you, but I look at this, can be just downright discouraging, right? Right? Because uh, this is where he wants us to be up here, <laughs> okay? And our spiritual realities are we are down here, right? Or maybe I'm just the only one, it feels like this, right? Um, and I, I wanna add here, because when I read this, I actually did some looking into this. I, the word, you're not fit for the kingdom of God I think that's an unfortunate translation actually, um, because it, it, this is so shocking, it, it, it seems to say here, unless you're totally in, 100%, all the chips in the table, everything in, you will not be used by God. And if that's the definition here, then none of us qualify, none of us do. We're all unfit. And when I looked at this word, I, went to look, I looked it up in my dictionary, Greek dictionary, it actually can also mean useful useful. And here's the image that Jesus is giving here. Let me put the picture up here. The image here is when, and any farmer at the time would have known what Jesus is saying here. We kind of missed this whole idea because we don't understand what it means to have a horse drawn plow. We don't understand what the, the illustration here is. But the idea is when you're plowing in the Mediterranean world, was very, very common when you're plowing a furrow, you always would keep your eyes straight forward for several reasons. One obviously is if you did not, keep your eyes for it, you would begin to go off course, off kilter, and you would not be in line with the other furrow that's next to you and would begin to ruin your field. People understood that. But the other important reason was in the Mediterranean world, rocks were everywhere. And when you are plowing your field, if you did not keep your eyes straight ahead at all times, you could end up running into a rock and you could break the plow which could set you weeks behind and ruin your crops. And it could lead to all kinds of problems in your life because of this. And the eye, Jesus is saying here, is you can never take your eyes off what's in front of you. And if I can liken it to something, because we hear this illustration, we're like, what are you talking about here? It's like me saying, when you're driving, you don't need to be looking down and texting when you're driving here. And if I, said this to the Mediterranean world, like, what is he talking about here? Everything has its illustration. And today it's keeping your eyes on what is in front of you. And Jesus Christ says, what is in front of you is me. Don't take your eyes off of me here. Those who follow after me will be utterly focused on me. So nothing else should lose our attention here. Now, if you think the bar is high here, okay, uh, he takes it even higher with this next illustration. And, and that is of all things, he seems to be the most in your face about. This is the most cryptic here. Let me put the passage up here. He says, this guy comes to Jesus, says, I want to follow you, but I have to go bury my father first. And we understand this. Like we, you, you got to honor your family. And yet Jesus says here, listen, let the dead bury their own dead. You must go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus must mean here the spirits are dead. And why would he mean that? Because physically dead people can't dig graves, okay? You don't have to be a theologian to know this, okay? Um, and here's what Jesus Christ is saying here. To be spiritually dead is to be blind and deaf and insensitive to spiritual realities as a physical dead person is to physical realities, You don't expect anything from a dead person, right? They can't do anything. It's the same thing with someone whose spirits are dead. They cannot, they're insensitive, they're blind, they cannot see things. And this is why Jesus is saying that people say, well, I believe in you, Jesus. I I wanna follow after you, but I have all these other things in my life. My career, my children, you know, my politics, my sports teams, You're, you're, you're one of many, many things here. And to say that something else comes first, Jesus Christ is simply saying here, there's, there's got to be a level of spiritual deadness in us for us to be able to say that. And if you found like this is, this is setting you back and challenging you, that is the whole point here. That's why when Jesus tell, people tell me sometimes, I love Jesus, what he says. Oh, really, let me read you some passages of what he says here. This would be one of them. Jesus Christ is saying, if you understand me If you know me, you will not put me to the side. It's impossible. And let me add here, it's not about just being busier for God, being busier for Christ. It's going deeper into Christ. That's what he's saying here. That's number one, making him our greatest priority. Number two here, and that is this is also teaching us here, discovering who we really are. And that's what it says here in this passage. And why do I say that? It's not just about making him our greatest priority. It's actually in making him our greatest priority, we actually discover something about God and we actually begin to discover something about ourselves. And that is we begin to find the original identity that God made us with in the Garden of Eden. But the world has polluted it. And many times in that case, we end up losing ourselves. And the passage up here, let me put it up here. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, if anyone wants to be my disciple, you must give up your own way, you must take up your cross, and you must follow me. And he says, if you try to hang on to this life, you will end up losing it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, for the sake of the gospel, you actually end up Saving it, you'll actually end up discovering who you are. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not just about changing priorities; it's about changing who we are and how we understand God. And I've said, and one, you know, one of the favorite hymns that we've singing here is "Just as I Am." And while it is true that Jesus Christ and God loves us just as we are, just as I am. He also loves me enough to never leave me just where I am. He's taking me someplace, somewhere higher, somewhere better, somewhere special. And in the process, Jesus Christ is also saying to us, I am telling you, you are going to leave things behind that you think you have to have, you do not need. And following me. And I would dare say, I think the longer we walk with Christ, and some of you in here know this a lot better than I do, the longer you you walk with Christ, the more you begin to realize the things you do not need that you thought you had to have when you were younger. We're shedding it, we're taking nothing with us from this world to the next, okay? And so if we are based our identity on Jesus Christ, I think it brings a great amount of stability, it brings peace that passes all human understanding. Because why? Because we're keeping our hearts and our mind and our focus on him, our greatest priority. We are readjusting how we see and view God, which is helping us readjust and how we view and see ourselves. He goes on to say this next thing. If you try to hang on to your life, you will actually lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, and for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the good news, you'll actually end up saving here. Now here is what I find absolutely fascinating about this. And this, I think this is extraordinary. If you, most of the time in the New Testament, when the word life, I've underscored that up there, where the word life is being used, it's almost always used exclusively for the Greek word bios. We would get our word biology. We get our word life. That's not the word that's being used here. They put the word that's being used here is the, is the Greek word suke, which is where we get our word psyche. In other words, what Jesus is saying here, there is a psyche. There is a real you that God knows. And somewhere in the process of living in a polluted, broken, sinful world, it is very, very easy to lose the real you for somebody else where we've lost about who we are in the sight of God. The essence of who God designed us to be, our soul, our psyche, the essence of who we are. And this passage is saying here, our psyche can be polluted by the world, the essence of the real you. It's not found in achievement. It's not found in how great of a parent we are. It's not found in our politics. It's not found in our hobbies. It's not found in giving good sermons. It's found completely and solely in the face of Jesus Christ. And that the way to discover the true you is the willingness to give up the worldly you. And again, I said this earlier, okay, you and I, we will fight this until we are dead, until we are with him. But he goes on to say, what do you benefit if you gain Everything, and yet you lose yourself in the process of it. You lose the essence of the real you. What is worth that? Strength from above does not come in gaining things. It actually comes from losing them. And notice here what Jesus says here, if you keep trying to hang on to this worldly you, you actually end up losing the real you. And some of you in here have discovered this. We know this. And when you begin to discover who you are in Christ, you begin to admit who you really are. It is one of the dominant themes of the gospels. We see this over and over and over again. The people that are being dramatically changed by God, by Christ, who are beginning to make Christ that priority in their life, begin to see themselves that they need to see themselves. Let me put the pictures up here, okay? The prodigal. Should be the prodigals, but the prodigal who's out in the pig pen, right? What does it say? He, he comes to his senses. He begins to see who he really is. Zacchaeus, I've cheated people for years. I now see who I am. I'm gonna make amends. I'm truly sorry, and I humbly repent. The woman at the well, okay? I have, I've had five husbands, and the guy I'm now shacking up with is not my husband, right? She begins to see that her identity was built on men rather than God. The, the woman caught in adultery who's changed forever. The man who comes to Jesus and said, you know, I he wants to heal his son. I, I do believe, but there's a lot of part of me that doesn't believe. Help me and overcome my unbelief. And when you look at all these pictures, all these images, it's, it's hard to say that we're changed by Christ if we're constantly defending Excusing, explaining away, you know, the pride that we all have that keeps us from discovering the best of who we can be in the eyes of God. It's admitting who we are and, and quit trying to hang on to this fakeness. I will say on a side note, I remember some of the best counsel I ever received was sitting in the, in the office of Father Owens, probably seven or eight years ago. I don't know, I was interviewing for something with the diocese, and I remember him saying to me, "To me, Jonathan, just be who you are. You don't need to pretend something you're not. And he said it in the most loving way, but I know what he was saying. That old idea about faking it until you make it, I know that's helpful, but sometimes I don't think that's the most helpful thing if you become a fake in the process of it. It's admitting who you are in the eyes of God and coming to peace with that. Discovering the real you. And apart from Jesus Christ, we're trying to gain the world through other things. How many times have I been told people in so many words, my identity is found in in these things, men, women, relationships, people's approval, money, status, political views, sports, nationalism it doesn't matter it all all that matters is it distracts us and pulls us away from god and that's all it takes a good thing we make an ultimate thing which becomes a bad thing and it pulls us away from our greatest priority and we lose ourselves in the process of it we lose who we really are and while it may appear like freedom i would say to this morning it's actually bondage it robs us. So the question then becomes: I think this is the question above all questions. How do we be? How do we um, be in the world and yet be free of it? I mean, are you thinking that? I was thinking that this week. And unless we go off and live in some commune somewhere, we are going to be struggling with this. And the only answer is: is when we really begin to believe that Jesus Christ is more important than anything else in our lives. Why do you think we've been talking so much about discipleship the last few months, about going deeper into Christ through all these different ways, more than just on a Sunday morning? It's going deeper, discovering who he is and discovering who we are. And I think it comes down to it. It's, it's, um, we no longer have an agenda other than Christ, other than God. And that's the thing that stands out here to me. Um, when Peter finds out, and you read this in Luke 9, when he finds out that Jesus says, we're going going to Jerusalem, which means suffering, which means ultimately a cross for Christ. And when Peter finds out about it, he's furious because he said, we're going to go and suffer. And the reason why is Peter had an agenda. His, His agenda had no crosses in it. Rather than Christ's agenda. And he thought basically that um, I have an agenda, here's what we're going to do. And I, I got to tell you the more you walk with Christ, you realize if Jesus Christ is a king, you know what I've learned watching The Crown on Netflix with royalty? When you come before royalty, when you come before a king, you don't negotiate. You come and you lay your swords down at his feet. You don't come to the king saying, I'll obey if. (laughs) Because if you say, I'll obey if, then that's not obedience, that's negotiation. Coming to the king and saying, what's next? I want to close with this story. Um, I've told this a few times over the years, but if you haven't heard it, I pray it. I pray it hits you. I heard this story years ago from one of the women who's dramatically changed my life. Her name was Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of the martyr missionary Jim Elliott. But she, she used to tell the story when she would travel around. It's an apocryphal story. It's, it's not in the Bible, um, but it very well could, could be in the Bible. It's consistent, in other words, with the scriptures. But she used to tell the story, and I remember hearing it years and years ago at a conference she was speaking at, and I never forgot it, but it's called, "If you carry, Will You Carry a Stone for Me? And the disciples are traveling from one town to the next. And uh, Jesus finally says, when they're leaving, I want you to pick up a stone and I want you to carry it for me. So they, all the disciples are picking up different stones of different weights, and Peter knew we have a really long trip. It's like miles to the next town. So he picks up this little tiny stone he puts in his pocket, and they begin to travel to the next town. They get there. They sit down. Jesus says, all right, get your stones out. They all get them out, the other stones, they're holding them out. Jesus waves his hand. They all turn to bread, and he says, okay, this is lunch. Let's go ahead and eat up. Now, some of the disciples had picked up bigger stones. They have like a loaf of bread. And Peter has this this little crouton, right? And he eats it. And he's frustrated. He's mad because he's like, everybody else is eating like royalty and I'm starving here. I'm hungry. And Jesus says, I want you to pick up another stone for me and I want you to carry it for me. So Peter thinks, I got this, baby. I know what's going on. So he picks up this huge boulder right? And, carry, and carries it on his shoulder to the next town, aching when it gets there. And they come to this, this river, this, this lake or whatever. And Jesus says, all right, I want you to take your stones and I want you to throw them into the river. So they, they all throw them in the river. And Jesus says, okay, we're going to go to the next town. And Peter was like, hey, uh, aren't you going to do your thing with, you know, wave your hand? And he said, no, we're going to the next town. He said, I just carried that entire stone all the way from one town to the next. And he's angry. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says to him, this is the point, who were you carrying the stone for? Now you get what's saying here. This is what Elizabeth was making. The first stone Peter was carrying, he was carrying that for Jesus, which is why it was so small. The second stone, he wasn't carrying that for Jesus. He was carrying that sucker for himself. A lot of the agenda we have sometimes is for ourselves. And Jesus Christ is putting right in our faces here the Lord's Prayer. Not my will be done, but yours. Not mine, but thine. Remember the passage here. If you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, for the sake of the gospel, you will save it. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come to you this morning asking, Lord, that we might again know what it means to follow after you. As we come to your table in just a little bit, help us again to recommit our lives to you and what it means to follow after you in a way that we would see you as we need to see you and see ourselves as we need to be seen. It's in your name we ask and pray these things. Amen.